Hey, how's everybody doing? And welcome back to 125 Unfiltered. Had a fantastic weekend of sports over last weekend, and I'm here to recap the UNC football and basketball games, but I'm not alone today. I've got special guests with me, good friend from UNC, fellow Tar Heel with me, Stuart Wanamaker. Stuart, how's it going? It's going great. How are you, Joshua? I'm doing good. Great to have you on the podcast. Really been looking forward to this. I uh, reached out to you actually before the uh, football game, knowing that or knowing that you were the right guy for, for the job today. So uh, very, very fun game. First off, uh, I mean, I became a Tar Heel fan just because I went to UNC, but you've been one practically all your life. How, how'd you become a Tar Heel fan, actually? Yeah, so I just want to say thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm also super excited. But um, I became a Tar Heel, I mean, it was basically just scripted ever since I was born. Both my parents went there. Um, I have three aunts and three uncles, and out of all of them, four of them, Four of the six of them also went to UNC, so it's been like UNC has been my whole life. Um, I've grown up. I've grown up being a Tar Heel fan. Um, basketball, football, lacrosse, uh, just root, root for them in all those sports. Um, and it was my dream school ever since I was probably like six years old. And so, it's just how it went. Yeah, I mean, and I, I know so many Tar Heel fans just like you just grow up that way and. It's kind of funny how I'm just as big of a diehard fan after just one year. It's just the whole Tar Heel culture. It's fun to be a part of um, at times, obviously. But uh, let's just get straight into this. So Orange Bowl over the weekend, first off, a fantastic game between Texas A&M and UNC. Unfortunately, we fall to the Aggies 41-27. to What were your first takeaways uh, from the whole game? Because with all the guys we had out, this team really fought hard, but in the end, it looked like that defense just tired out a little bit and AM was able to pull out the win in the fourth. Yeah. So um, it was definitely uh, rough to watch towards the end of the game, but I think our team put up uh, a good fight. It was, it was a really good game um, and a couple big momentum swings at the end uh, really shifted it towards Texas A&M's favor. But I think um, what we saw out of like the new running backs and some of the younger wide receivers was definitely promising. Uh, I think we'll be back and better than ever next year. Uh, obviously it hurt not having those players. Um, and I also don't think the final score really reflected how close that game was. Two touchdown margin. I, I think it, it probably was closer to one touchdown or maybe even a field goal. Um, but again, they got a garbage time touchdown and, um, but it was it was definitely an entertaining game to watch. A uh, little 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 disappointing, but still still good fun. Yeah, absolutely. And this team was up twenty seven twenty at the start of the fourth quarter when Howell hit downs for that seventy five yard touchdown, and it looked like for a second that we were going to able or be able to pull out that win, but. I just kind of noticed that that offensive line of the Aggies was just really wearing down on our defensive line and linebackers, which is why eight Shane was able to rip off that long run for that touchdown. And we kind of saw that in the Notre Dame game where the defense played really solid for the first three quarters, but just that dominant offensive line and all that talent up front for, for the fighting Irish. And then for the Aggies, it just wore down that defense in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely some of the same thing. Uh, like towards the beginning of the game, they were talking about how good Texas A&M's offensive line was supposed to be and how they were in like the top three for the final award for like best offensive line. And I think you definitely saw that with Notre Dame as well. They have a very, very, very good offensive line. Um, and I think our defense did put up a good fight through three quarters. I think you'd make a fair point. But I also I agree that their their offensive line just 
became the dominant force in the fourth quarter. And it, it was like we weren't getting any um, penetration into the backfield. So. Yeah, and actually, before the Orange Bowl, A&M only gave up four sacks on the year, and we got three on Kellen Mond. So this defense, again, they, they really played hard, uh, especially for those first three quarters. But um, as we saw, those, those big runs by A&M, and honestly, just good game management by Kellen Mond. He was 16 of 26 for 232. He ran for a touchdown, but I just kind of noticed along the way how – Kellen Mond was not going to turn that ball over. He wasn't going to make these huge throws that Sam Howell was making, but he he made some really nice throws. He had a 54-yard bomb to Anaya Smith, who had six receptions for 125 yards. But he did everything he needed to do to win that game, and that's what a senior quarterback is going to do. Uh, Switching over to Sam Howell, how do you think he did in his performance and really the biggest game of his college career so far? Yeah, just a just a point to add on your uh, talk about Kelamon is I think he he played very disciplined. He was very disciplined and he he went through his progressions and if those didn't pan out, he used what ultimately killed us and was his feet. Um, very skilled player, but I think Sam Howell definitely started off with some nerves. Um, that pick really early, not a good throw. Um, but then I think he he started to get into his groove and into his comfort zone and even without. Uh, like Michael Carter and Javante Williams to to really get the run game open and without one of his best deep threat targets, Deami Brown, um, I believe he he started to get <clears throat> into his into his groove. Um, and I think he he really didn't make that many more mistakes in the rest of the game. Um, he had a really solid game, but I think uh, it just it wasn't enough without like a a very strong complementary run game. So I think I don't think he tried to do too much. But I think he definitely um, was shaky at the start. But then I think he he pulled himself together. Yeah, no doubt. Obviously, uh, I mean, they only ran three, rushed three on that interception, just sailed on him a little bit, allowing Isaiah Spiller to get their first touchdown uh, for A&M. But it seemed like – whoops, <laughs> Siri going off a little there. seemed like um, – the run game was what was really missing because uh, like we saw Josh Downs really stepped up for this team. He really took that deep threat spot for Deami Brown. Uh, He had four receptions, 91 yards and two touchdowns. But I mean, British Brooks and Josh Henderson, they're just not Michael Carter and Devontae Williams only ran for 90 yards. There were a couple of possessions where we just really missed Javante Williams. That first uh, drive where I believe we were, it was, I think we're in the goal, uh, down and goal situation and we just couldn't get the run game going because we didn't have a big body like Javante to break some tackles and obviously the third and fourth and one in the fourth quarter that we just could not get a yard uh, because we really just didn't have those star running backs to to break those tackles so um, the run game is kind of what was missing most for me because other guys made up for the passing game yeah I agree Um, I think that in like the open field, like like how you said, like once we got to the red zone or like goal to go opportunities, um, we didn't have like the the backs to to pound it into the end zone. But I think, um, <clears throat> like I remember on a couple of occasions, like especially British Brooks, I think he'll be really good next year. Is he, he would get a solid seven, eight, nine yard run on first or second down. Um, he's he's built. Uh, he's not small. He's more built like Javante more than Michael Carter, um, and he's fast. And I think that 
our offensive line actually played pretty well that game. Um, but I do think that just the, the lack of experience, I mean, he, I think he had 46 touches coming into that game or maybe 46 yards. I don't know. That did, either one, um, not very experienced and especially not with the starting offense. Um, so I think that hurt a little bit. I think it, it showed us that at the end of the game where it was like our team for like the total rushes had like 32 rushes for, I think, a little over 100 yards, whereas their um, A-chain, Devin A-chain, had like 12 rushes for like 140 yards already. So um, that was a tough stat to watch. Definitely since our run game had been so dominant all year, um, you, you go from our last game against Miami where we put up almost 600 rushing yards to that game. Um, it's, it's definitely just a different different aspect you have to take into account. So. Yeah, and that Texas A&M defense, they're third in the league or in, in the country in defending the rush. So I knew that it was going to be hard running on them with that. But again, without those two stud running backs, we were going to need Sam Howell to really uh, step up his game, which he did for, for a good amount of the game. He was 18 of 31, 234 yards, three touchdowns with that one interception. Um, and I think the announcers really touched on this with Daz Newsome, but a lot of respect to him for playing in his last game. Uh, this is the, this was one of the biggest games in, in Tar Heel fr- uh, program history, going to the Orange Bowl, playing the number five team in the country and uh, respect to Daz Newsome for, for playing it out. And what a catch he had, uh, uh, six receptions, 68 yards, and obviously that spectacular uh, touchdown grab. But it'll be sad to see him go. But uh, that the impact he seemed to have on that offense just, you know, and probably those younger receivers is immense. And we'll definitely miss him next year. Yeah, I think he was a great mentor um, and a great, a great player to have in the, in the lineup in that game. Um, yeah, hats off to Daz. Uh, I, I've talked with my dad and multiple other people about this, and it's like, yes – they don't want to run the risk of getting injured and missing out on multiple million dollars because um, that's their future. But like Daz said, he's like, I respect their decisions, but there's no way I'm missing my last game with my team, my family. And that's what you see. Like you, you, a team is more than just a team. Those people become your brothers and you want to be out there on the field with them every week. And if this is your last game, and especially like you said, is it the college football playoffs? No, but is it a new year's six bowl one that we haven't been to since 1950? Yes. And that, in, in my eyes, if I was in that position, I'm playing that bowl game with my, my brothers, but um, I understand like, Michael Carter and Javante Williams and Deami Brown's decision, but I also I respect Daz Newsom's his heart and his his fight. Yeah, I'm right with you on that one. I'm not missing out on a game like that. Uh, on the flip side to that conversation, you look at a guy like Kyle Trask. He didn't have any of his weapons, and he played like hot garbage, throwing three interceptions in the first quarter. But if you're gonna ball out on that stage, you're gonna ball out. We saw Sam Howell do it. We saw Justin Fields do it against Clemson. We saw Devonta Smith do it. There's always the risk of getting injured, but I just, I'm right with you there. With a game like that, with the most important game of these guys' college careers at UNC, because two years ago, what are we, two and nine? And uh, last year, we couldn't win a close game. And this year, we finally got to that stage of being nationally recognized and, um, and that, that's just opportunities that those guys live for. And obviously a little disappointing to see those guys not be able to, uh, to play, but obviously I'm, I respect their decision to, to go to the draft, talked about that a little bit um, on, the, on the podcast last week. 
I want to transition over to the defensive side because uh, Eugene Asante was the one who filled in for Chad Surratt. What did you make of his performance? Because he's really going to fill in that void for Surratt next year. Yeah, I actually liked um, Eugene Asante's play a lot. Um, they talked about him a lot during the game, and and it was more Chaz Surratt, um, fantastic linebacker, QB of the defense almost, um, senior experience leader. But he's more of a – he. I think what Chaz brings to the table in, in the form of, like, football IQ and experience and, like – leadership like that Eugene Asante makes up in just sheer physical like strength like he's he's faster and he's stronger um and while he doesn't he's not as familiar with the defense and like the blitzing schemes and all that they said Chas Rat's more of like a blitzing linebacker but Eugene Asante I like what I saw out of him I really liked him he was fast he was all over the field he was making plays everywhere um he could blitz but he could also drop into coverage and he was quick and I, I liked what I saw out of him yeah, I'm right with you there again. I mean, he seemed just like a pure athlete getting to um, getting to filling in gaps on runs, uh, playing some decent pass coverage. Uh, speaking of pass coverage, I was really impressed with this secondary. Kellen Mond only threw for 232 yards. Obviously, Anaya Smith was really the one who killed us, but the tight end that they talked about all night only had like two catches. Um, Tony Grimes, this guy's going to be a star in a couple of years. He obviously dropped that interception, but he had some huge pass deflections. And this guy's 18 years old. I am older than Tony Grimes, and I'm here recording this podcast, and he was balling out in a New Year's Six Bowl. So we're very fortunate to have in have him. And obviously other guys like McMichael and obviously Chapman missed that big tackle on the long run by A-Chain. But I think the secondary could be really, really good next year. And and for most of the game, they they – we're beating those wide receivers in man coverage. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the secondary played, played really well in coverage. Um, and, and that's hats off to the linebackers as well. Um, I think coverage was, was very well schemed and, and drawn up and executed in this game um, by our defensive coordinator and by the defense. Um, but I, I will touch on the point you made of missed tackles and it was missed tackles by everyone, not just the cornerbacks or the safeties, everyone on the defense missed tackles. There was plenty of times in the first half where we'd actually um, bleed through the offensive line and, and get pressure in the backfield on their runs or even on their passes. And we just missed the tackle. We'd get one arm around them and we just wouldn't be able to bring them down. And I think that's ultimately what killed us is, is the, the poor tackling execution was, was really evident in this game. And I don't know why, because normally we're a pretty sound tackling team, but um, there was a lot of lot of missed tackles this game. So, yeah, and, and obviously sometimes fatigue can wear on that, which I believe that's why their run game really got going in the end. But I mean, through those three quarters, seventeen points for AM, only around like two hundred and sixty yards. But again, that fourth quarter is where they really uh, broke it off. I, I want to talk about the play call decision on that fourth and one, the third and one and fourth and one. I think that that first down, we throw a nine yard pass, I think to Daz Newsome and then second and one, it's an incomplete pass to, to a running back. I think it was British Brooks. And then third and fourth and one, we take the ball out of Sam Howell's hands. It's only a yard. Normally we get that easily with Javante Williams, but we didn't have those guys. What did you think about uh, those two play calls to that evidently sealed the game for us? Yeah, I think that was the, the second um, 
situation of ultimately the big momentum shifts. Um, I think it was a tie game, and <clears throat> Sam Howell threw an absolutely beautiful pass, um, maybe 40, 50 yards downfield to Coffrey Brown, who ultimately dropped it. And if he had caught that, he would have run that in for a touchdown. So he dropped that. We punt that drive. They score, and then we get our drive ultimately where I think you're right. I think he threw a nine-yard pass to Daz Newsom first down, and then it was an incomplete pass to British Brooks second down. But I was just looking there, and I was like, it's second and one. Why don't you just try and pound this in on second down so that if you don't get it, eventually third and eventually fourth down, you can throw the ball there. Like I'd much rather you try and run that yard, get that yard on second down. I just think that makes more sense. Um, but I, I, I don't hate the play call to run on um, third down and fourth down. If it's only a yard. Um, I, I think it's the, the fourth down run really, it kind of sent me when it happened because he, he had enough room and he like spun. I think it was Josh Henderson, like got hit, spun, and he could have like reached out or even stayed on his feet a little bit, but he just sort of went down. I think he felt like he was already past the line. And so he just went down and, and then looked up and was like, Oh, I'm a half yard short. And he tried to like scoot himself on the ground to the first down. But um, I don't hate the run call because I definitely think we could have gotten it. Um, but I think if, if at that moment, um, if you keep the ball in Sam Howell's hands, um, while he was passing it well that game too, he was also doing a lot with his feet. He was escaping out of the pocket. Um, I don't know how many rush yards he had exactly, but um, he played a really sound game. Um, and I think that if, if it came down to it and no one was open, uh, because a few times throughout the game, Texas Saint him definitely put the clamps on our receivers. Um, but I think Sam Howell could have made something happen. So I can see both sides to it, but that was definitely a big, big uh, momentum shift because then they got the ball on what are their own – our own 30 yard line. Uh, and then they just ran us into the ground. So. Yeah. I, I lean towards the side of giving the ball to Sam Howell, letting him make the play. I mean, I'm, I'm with you second and one, try the run. And what if you use, you, you lose one or two yards, then it's the third and two, third and three, and then you really have to make a play. But um, I, I'm, I'm really, I was really upset a little bit with the play call because again, I want that ball in Sam Howell's hands. He's the reason we were in that position with, uh, with the tie game or with down seven at that point, but we needed him to make the plays and he did make some plays. Like you said, uh, that long pass to Caffrey Brown. I mean, you got to catch that ball went right through his hands. Uh, he also missed one to, to Daz Newsome ended up being a roughing the passer call, but uh, that the drive after the Caffrey Brown miss um, we were in their territory, but then Sam Howell, uh, well, it was actually the drive where we tried the reverse trick play to, I think the announcer was saying that it was open, but A&M just stuffed it. And then Howell got sacked on third down. So really just two big potential drives for touchdowns just didn't happen. And then uh, when you're in a third and one and a fourth and one, I know normally you run that ball, but in a big game like that, you let your big players play. And I think they should have given Sam Howell I, – I, definitely on fourth down, I would have given Sam Howell a chance to throw. Third and one, I, I, I go with the run as well. But um, I, I, just, I wanted Sam Howell to get a shot, and I just feel like he never never really got it towards the end of the game. Definitely earlier in the fourth quarter, but due to the drop and, uh, and the sack on those two drives, never really got a shot at the end. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, second, second and eight, yeah, and even third down. I think if you try and get that yard on the ground, um, it's a much, it's a much better, um, 
like outcome of getting that. I think that the incompletion on second down was really just like, why, why would you try and throw it here? Like you need one yard to keep this drive going and this drive has to keep going. Like why not just put it on the ground? Um, but yeah, I think fourth down, you definitely should have let him pass. Um, but again, that's where the absence of Javante Williams and, and Michael Carter was felt because if they were in that game, I, I fully expect them that they can get that yard. So. Yeah, and and honestly, this this game felt more of like a showcase for the future for this team. Obviously, the four opt-outs, but Josh Downs is a freshman. He only had, I think, three catches on the season, one of them being a touchdown, but he showed out. Uh, we saw the two new running backs who are going to take over next year, Sam Howell. We've seen him work with Caffrey Brown and, and Josh Downs, and uh, I believe I believe it's Green. Uh, number number three, can't remember his first yeah. name, but uh, this is going to be a, a revamped offense. So it was nice to see, um, I guess, a look towards the future for the offense. But then defensively, that most of that defense is going to be intact. That secondary is going to be together. So the future is bright for this team. I fully expect us to be back in this position next year. And Mac Brown said the same thing in his postgame conference. They just expect uh, expect to win it next time. So overall, just a a really fantastic game. I'm glad that we put up the fight that we did. Um, at least we didn't get blown out like Florida on, on national television because we, we really showed, and especially Sam Howell, that, that we belong in these type of games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the offense, I definitely thought it was, it was a good um, showing and um, a, a good opportunity for a lot of these younger players to get some um, playing times. Like you said, Josh Downs, uh, Antoine Green, um, even Coffrey Brown. Um, guys that don't normally get as much playing time showed up and, and had big roles in this game. I think, yes, British Brooks and Josh Henderson, um, once they really get going and get incorporated in this offense, I think they'll be fantastic running backs. Um, and like you said, defensively, on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think besides Chaz Surratt, there may be one, maybe one or two seniors on the defensive line. But other than that, the entire secondary is, is younger. Um, and the linebacker core still has some more years. I think Gimmel's a junior and then, Asante is a sophomore, I believe. Yeah, I believe um, he is. So, so yeah, it, it, it's it'll be it'll be a fun season to watch next year. And no doubt, obviously, uh, Tar Heel fans have got some basketball, which we'll get into later. But just a fantastic football season. I mean, we're we're freshmen, so it's very convenient for us to hop into college with. Tar Heels being good at football again two years ago weren't winning many games three years ago weren't winning many games but just an overall fun season a few ups and downs obviously some bad losses but the win against Miami was a lot of fun and again being in a New Year's Six Bowl it just definitely means so much for the program and it was a just such a such a good game in my opinion one of the best games of the bowl season and Definitely want to give credit to Texas A&M for the way they played because, again, Kellen Mond Sr. really showed out. Jimbo Fisher did a good job coaching that team, and uh, they had all the right to be mad about the college uh, football playoff rankings. But, again, they just played a phenomenal game, and they ended out on top. So uh, any last thoughts on the football game before we transition to the basketball game against Notre Dame? Yeah, again, hats off to Texas A&M. Uh, I think they played a great game. I think they really, they really won it in the fourth quarter, which is, uh, is, is was ironic because the fourth quarter is normally UNC's time to shine. Uh, last year, the fourth quarter was literally the only quarter that UNC could put up points in. Um, I think we have the best point margin over opponents in the fourth quarter in the last two seasons combined out of any team. Um, and Sam Howell has a fantastic track record in the fourth quarter. 
Um, but I think Texas A&M just, just outplayed us, outran us. Um, and, and I know that there's going to be a lot of diehard UNC fans like, well, that game would have been different if we had our players. Yes, but then it, it's the same thing about what Clemson said against Notre Dame the first time. They're like, well, we didn't have Trevor Lawrence. Yes, we didn't have our players, but we aren't going to have our players to play them ever again. So um, we played with what we had, and we put up a fight. And ultimately, Texas A&M came out on top, but it was a, it was a great game. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we'll be back next season. And I'm excited for the, again, I'm excited for the future. We're going to have Sam Howell for one more season. Maybe we'll see him make a Heisman push. But let's transition to some UNC basketball. UNC, 5-4, and 0-2 in the ACC, going to the Dean Dome for the first home ACC game against Notre Dame. Barely pull out a win, 66-65. Leaky Black makes a layup, a go-ahead layup with about nine seconds left. And then we finally get a defensive stop um, to seal the deal. Dayron Sharp was just fantastic this game. 25 points, nine rebounds. Kerwin Walton hit four threes to have 12 points. And then for the Fighting Irish, Nate Lisewski had 25 points and nine rebounds. He was nine of 14. Uh, what were your main takeaways from this game? Yeah, so um, I'm realizing quickly that every Carolina basketball game is going to be close like that, and it's it's never going to be a, a comfortable game to watch. It's always going to be edge-of-your-seat type of game. Um, but, I mean, Dayron Sharp was an absolute unit um, in the paint, um, 25 points, and he was credited with nine rebounds, but there was multiple possessions where he'd put up a layup and tip up his own layup two, three, four more times. Um, he was just he, – he was someone they, they couldn't guard. Um, and then, uh, like you said, Kerwin Walton from the outside was was truly our only real threat from the outside that game. Um, and then, then, like you said, Leaky Black hit that massive shot at the end. And Le- Leaky also played phenomenally. I thought that game was one of his best games. Um, and, and, like, offensively, he's not as big as a threat. But, like, defensively, I think he played a great game. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, Nate Lashesky. Uh, I mean, I was yelling at my TV that entire game about him. I think he was 7 of 10 for three. I mean, he was almost – almost automatic from, from three. If I ever saw him get the ball outside the arc and shoot it, I was just like, well, we're, that's three more points to them. Um, hats off to him. Great play. Um, but I think it, it felt nice to finally get a win and an ACC win at that. Um, it, it, and I think it'll definitely hopefully boost the confidence of a lot of these younger Tar Heel players um, to see a, a win in that column in the ACC already. Um, so, Yeah, I mean, it was very evident after the game that – uh, Tar Heel players definitely excited celebrating that win because we, we needed it. And then that point of, about Leshevsky, every time we hedged on a screen to the guard and left him wide open on a pick and pop, I was just yelling at my TV. I'm like, that's the one guy you just can't leave open. I mean, through like a, it seemed like he had half their points through a point of the game because he was so good. And I mean, I was just begging them to stop him and make someone else beat us. Hub did have 14 points, but I mean, the rest of their players, they, they weren't really doing much. They did shoot 47% from the field to our 35% from the field. And uh, another point about, about Daron Sharp, seven of nine from the free throw line. That is huge for him. That is huge for our team. We need him to make those because he's going to get fouled a lot down there, but he definitely showed that he was, he was the best player on the floor that night and he could turn into the best player on this uh, Tar Heel team. Now, three stats that I always go over for UNC is three-point percentage, free-throw percentage, and turnovers. Shot eight of 23 from the three-point line. That's 35%. Not, not 
horrible, but we did make eight threes. Free throw, we were 10 of 14, only missed four, 71%. And then the big one, turnovers, eight turnovers. That's got to be the lowest on the season. What do you make of, of, the, of the guard play in terms of just taking care of the ball? Because, I mean, we just completely eliminated the fast break points for Notre Dame because we just weren't turning the ball over that much. Yeah, I think um, I'm actually not uh, too too unhappy with the three-point percentage. Um, and, and like you said, we made eight of them. Um, that's like eight more than we normally make, unfortunately. Um, not actually, but it, that's what it seems like. Um, so 35% from the field, um, four of those may have come from Kerwin Walton. Uh, huge presence on the outside, really developing into a player that um, I like personally a lot. Um, but I, I'm not too disappointed with that. And also, um, I don't know if... 10 of 14 from free throw is, is, is good. I mean, it's not great, um, but I think Notre Dame also shot two for six from the free throw line. Like, they were even worse. So, um, and then turnovers, like you said, eight. Uh, that's a phenomenal number to see. Um, eight turnovers in a game, if we keep playing like that, I think we'll have many more wins in the ACC uh, in basketball this year, um, as opposed to the 18 we put up against Georgia Tech the other night. But it's still, um, like, our field goal percentage – I mean, through the first half, we couldn't make a shot inside the paint to save our lives. I mean, it was it was embarrassing. It was quite frankly embarrassing. Um, like you said, uh, Notre Dame shot, what, like 12% better than us from the field? And we won that game because we put up so many shots and just couldn't make them. And it was, it was really the inside shots um, when it's normally the outside shots. So we got to get um, – we just got to get better at making, making those shots when we're open. Yeah, we shot 69 shots to those 55. Another huge stat. We out-rebounded Notre Dame 44-25 to with 20-2-0 offensive rebounds. I mean, that's just how many second-chance points we, uh, we were able to get and the amount of opportunities we had. And yeah, it was, it was a one-point game. But Kerwin Walton, he's really turning into a guy. I, I'm becoming very fond of him as a player. At first, when, when we were watching some of our first games, I was like, Where's, why isn't this guy shooting? He's supposed to be in the game to shoot, but it seems like he's really found his footing, and he might be the best freshman guard we have, and he was clearly the lowest recruited uh, guard. And, and you told me one day that he kind of reminded you of a Kenny Williams. So, uh, and, I mean, after thinking about it, it makes a lot of sense. He could really be that shooter for us on the outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Kenny Williams was, was arguably one of my favorite players on the team, uh, last year, two years ago, uh, or not last year, sorry, two years ago, three years ago. Um, great outside shooter. Was, Kenny Williams was a great outside shooter. And uh, and it's funny because both of them have the initials KW and both of them were 24 and they can both shoot lights out from the perimeter. But I agree, like you said, lowest recruited freshman and he's making the most impact right now. Um, I think it was the offensive rebounds and the boards while Dayron Sharp was a beast uh, on the glass and in the paint. Um, I think while Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks didn't shoot as well this game. Um, they were, their presence were definitely also felt on the glass. I think we just overpowered them and that was really helpful. Um, but again, like the, the eight turnovers to 18 turnovers makes a huge difference. But if you think about it, we also put up more points against Georgia Tech than we did against Notre Dame with 10 fewer turnovers. So that's just where you, you've got to start converting on some of those shots. Um, and I also found it really interesting what Roy did with the starting lineup. Again, changing the starting lineup, putting Dayron Sharp in there and putting R.J. Davis, Kerwin Walton, and Leaky Black in there with Armando Baycott. So, Caleb Love actually started this game, and Roy Williams said afterwards that R.J. was going to start, but he showed up 35 seconds late uh, to the locker room. And 
you know, as Roy Williams will do, he's going to, he's going to make you pay for stuff like that. But love RJ Davis did get uh, 23 minutes in the end, but um, I've talked about the two young guards, love and Davis a lot on this podcast, overall disappointed in, in their development so far. I still have faith because they are two talented guys and they just need to find their footing. What, what have you taken away from, uh, from them so far this season because, I mean, R.J. Davis was one for six from the field, all three-pointers, and Caleb Love was two for seven. He did hit a huge uh, three-pointer, but five points for him, three for Davis, and we just need more out of those guys. Yeah, so I think um, that is my bad. Caleb Love did start that game, and I think he, he started it fairly well, um, not from an offensive perspective, but from a defensive perspective. I mean, he was yeah, flying he was getting deflections, yeah. I think he had like two or three in the first four minutes of the game. Um, and, and that's what Roy likes to see. He likes to see people that can really work their butt off on defense. Um, I, I think it's interesting that he chose – he's choosing not to play them together as much anymore. Um, but like the announcers have stated, it, um, taking on a starting point guard role in the ACC as a freshman is an incredibly difficult task. And, he's, and then they, I believe the announcer said, well, like some people have made it look easy. It's not easy at all. Um, and so I think – they may still have some freshman nerves. Um, I, I think they just have to settle down. Um, but I think focusing on – the number one thing they have to focus on is not trying to do too much or just being fundamentally sound with the ball, right, because they are both incredibly talented players, like you said, and they can both shoot. But obviously they've both struggled tremendously shooting the three ball and shooting in general this season. Um, but I think that's a huge testament to – I don't think they've gotten comfortable yet. And when they don't, once they learn to not turn the ball over and they, and they learn to be more fundamentally sound with the ball and smarter with their passes and their shot selections, I believe those shots will start falling because they're way too talented to keep shooting like the, the way they're shooting. I mean, top recruits out of high school, I believe Caleb Love was 16th, 18th recruit or something, the number two point guard out of his class. And RJ Davis was like the 43rd recruit, um, number four point guard, maybe, maybe number five. I don't know. Um, but both incredibly talented players. But I think if they can develop defense and, and ball handling and, and less turnovers, that you won't need to feel their presence shooting as much because um, we'll have the ball more. So, Yeah, and I mean, I'm right with you there. The turnovers and, and playing defense, once you get into the rhythm of the game, those shots will start to fall. But if you start out a little raggedy with some bad passes, it can kind of throw you off a little mentally. I mean, I know that when I, when I just played JV ball, if I made a turnover, you know, you have to, you have to get your mind back to the next play instead of, you know, harping on what, on the mistake you just made. But uh, I, I'm really hoping that they can improve. We need them to improve because uh, they're, they're, uh, scoring from the perimeter is, is much needed. Thankfully, Kerwin Walton has really stepped up for this team with his 12 points. I think the player I'm most disappointed in uh, this season has to be Garrison Brooks. I think it's very fair that Dayron Sharp has taken his starting his starting spot, and I think Sharp is just a better player. He's just so talented, but we really need Brooks, who's the preseason ACC Player of the Year, to to play better offensively. Only two for seven uh, for five points. Did have eight rebounds and four assists, so it's not all about the points for him, but it seems like he had a really good season last year and he might have taken a step back. So what, what do you see from him that possibly could improve or just some, some hard uh, scenarios that he's in? Because he is our best player. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement 100%. Um, I think senior leader, um, four years of experience under his belt, 
um, and he started for a majority of those years. It may have been all four, maybe maybe three though. Um, last year he was quite arguably our best player on the floor. Uh, when Cole Anthony got hurt, he was one of the few people on our on our team that could get a bucket. And I think this year when he's surrounded by other people that can also make their own shot or make their own bucket, he's not having to do as much. But especially in this Notre Dame game is what we saw is Garrison Brooks is incredibly talented in the post. And he's not as big as De'Ron Sharp. I think De'Ron Sharp has an inch or two on him. And he's also a lot like bulkier. But Garrison Brooks is a fantastic post player, just fundamentally great moves, knows how to, how, how to get his shot. But the problem against Notre Dame was I think, I, I think Garrison Brooks put up five shots within five feet of the rim or closer and missed all of them. Like nothing was falling from that game. And I agree, once he starts finding his shot, he is our best player on the court. He, he can score. I mean, he can score. Um, but I think he's just – he's – I agree. I think De'Ron Sharp should have started that game because De'Ron Sharp is, is playing very well. And Armando Baycott is also playing very well. And I think Garrison Brooks, while he's a senior and he's, he's a great player right now, he's just not in his groove. And I think once he, once he gets back in his groove and he, he show Coach Williams that he's, he needs to start again, then he will be put back in that lineup. But I, I think for now, I think De'Ron Sharp was a, was a great substitute for him. Um, played a phenomenal game. And another player that uh, got some minutes this game was uh, – Puff Johnson, I actually liked what I saw out of him. And not as much on the offensive side. I think he had, like, one bucket on two shots, which isn't bad. But, um, like, a rebounding and defensive perspective, he was really scrappy. He showed a lot of hustle. Um, I remember there was a free throw where he was supposed to get boxed out, and he just beat his man to the ball and got the rebound and kept the possession alive. Um, so I think he'll be he'll be good, too, because um, he's showing a lot of fight. But I just think it, it's it, – you got to give this team a little bit more time to develop, and I think – once they they learn to play with everyone and play smart, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough team to beat. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I think once we get into February and March, this team could be really dangerous, especially if these freshman guards get on track, uh, scoring the ball. And I, I mean, Love and Davis only had three turnovers combined, which is really good. Um, and I, I just think with this team. Obviously, Sharp had 25, but there isn't necessarily one guy who can go get a bucket by himself and drop 20 on any given night. But this team is 10 deep. We're playing 10 guys right now. There are a lot of people on the court who can score the ball. It's, it's, it's going to be a balanced scoring team, and I think that can be really dangerous come playoff time because when you've got someone like a Luca Garza on Iowa, you're focused on shutting him down and because he, he's their main player or uh, Io Dasunmu for, for – uh, for Illinois, when you have that one player, when it comes time for March, you really got to like lock in on that guy and double on that guy. But for this team, there isn't necessarily that one player who's above and beyond the rest, but that could be a good thing because at, we could have five guys on the court who could score at any given time, which I think is, is really important. And, um, and ho- hopefully we can come to that point where the guards are, are being a bit more helpful in the scoring column. Yeah, yeah, to your point, uh, uh, the announcers even said during the game that this was the first time any UNC player this season has dropped 20 points or more. And at first I was like, that's kind of embarrassing. But the more I thought about it is you're right, we don't have a player who can just go, uh, who is a, a standout player and right now can just go get any bucket he wants. Like Cole Anthony last year was a player that you could give him the ball and he could make a shot for himself. 
And but I also think it's it's not really a bad thing because I don't think this team needs one person to to get their own bucket. I think if you need a big shot down in the, at the end of the game, it can be nice to have. And I think Leaky filled that role in this game. He he took the ball and he was like, I'm going to the hoop, and he got himself a bucket. But I think that it's it's much more helpful to have five players who aren't superstars but can at least get themselves a bucket if they're open on the court because then you can really stretch the court and, and they have to respect everyone equally as as a player and as someone who can score. So I think if I think the, the, we have three big men and, and Walker Kessler who hasn't played as much. We haven't seen as much out of him, but three big men who can get their own bucket if, if they're having a good game. Uh, the, the two freshman guards are incredibly talented, just not shooting as well right now, but I think further into the season, they will be two players that we can rely on to make a bucket when they're open. Uh, Kerwin Walton has really stepped it up. And I, I, I honestly was really impressed with Leakey this game. I think Leakey even made a three that game. I think Leakey just, I think he's told not to try to shoot on offense, which sometimes, yes, I get that. But I think he really is a player that you can give him the ball and be like, you are tall, you are fast, go to the rim. And I think he can get it done there. Um, and so I think if we if we develop a starting five and, and even off our bench, um, five players that can really shoot or just make an open shot, it will be much more dangerous than in a team with, with a Luka Garza. Yeah, I, I want Leakey to be more uh, aggressive on that on that drive to win the game. He went up strong. The, the, he said that the possession before when he had that same same layup on the same guy, he went up a little soft, but – I want him to drive in more, get to get to the hole. He's again, he's a he's an athlete. I think the corner three he had at the beginning of the game was good. I, I would like to see him shoot the ball more, especially if he's open, and that would just really help this team out. And I I don't know if we we might have played him at point guard a couple times, but I talked about a little talked about that a little bit last week about how it would be interesting to see to see how he would do there. But I think he's he's going to be huge for this team coming up. Obviously by far our best defender he's going to lock down anyone on the other team but if he can consistently put up eight to ten points a night that'll be huge uh for leaky yeah i mean that that really just elevate our offense to a to a whole new standard if, if he could get involved on the offensive end but again he's more of a defensive player and, and he's incredible at it um but again, I think it was it was really good to get a win um, for all these guys, even like the, the freshmen especially, but even some of the more experienced guys like Garrison Brooks, Leakey. It's good to see uh, a win in the ACC under your name in that column. Um, it boosts your confidence. And while Notre Dame is one of the stronger ACC teams, um, I don't think any team is – there's not there's, – there's really not many teams in the ACC right now that are like, this is the team to beat in the ACC. Uh, Duke doesn't have it this year. Virginia's lost some some uh, games this year that really they shouldn't have, but they did. Uh, Florida State is is a good team. I think they'll be one of the better ones, but again, they're nothing like incredibly special. Um, they're good, but they're not like a, a Gonzaga or an Iowa. So, yeah. And one more thing I want to point out about Leakey. Normally, when sometimes when players have trouble shooting, it's in their shot form, or it just or I don't know if it's a confidence thing, but his shot form looks good, actually. It looks like, I mean, it's not, like, unconventional. It looks like a like a good fluid motion. So, um, hopefully, uh, I think, like you said, he had a really good offensive game, and he's going to be huge for this team coming up. 
uh, with time time winding down here, this has just been a fantastic episode. I think everyone's really going to enjoy listening to this. I mean, I think we've gone up maybe 40 minutes right now. But um, I guess the last question I'll ask is, if you got to pick one guy on this Tar Heel team, who would you say is going to be the X factor for this team's success? Uh, I could choose a couple, but I think I'll do – I think defensively, this team, if if Leaky Black um, comes into his own as someone you have to respect on offense, but even more so on defense, I think he could be the X factor. I think he could lock down um, any 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 player in the league um, if if he comes into his own. And then I think offensively, um, I think at right now after the game he just had, I think if Dayron Sharp continues to play like that, um, he will be someone you have to show the most respect to on our offense because he is just even if he's not shooting, he's just such a big body down there that you have to respect on the rebound because if you don't box him out or you give a a lousy effort to box him out, he's going to get that rebound and UNC is going to get another possession and then that's where they're going to kill you second chance points. So I'm going to go out on a limb with my pick. I'm going to stick with this guy. I'm going to, I have been high on Caleb Love ever since he came out of high school. I've seen his highlight tapes. I think he's fantastic. He can score. Obviously, he hasn't done it so far uh, for our team, but I, I think that if he becomes that guy on the perimeter, to not like a Kobe White or Cole Anthony, but like he's the one guy who I think could go get a bucket by himself. He has the best chance at the guard position, in my opinion, to do so. And I think if he if he increases his play and becomes more efficient from the field, because he's only shooting like – 30% from the field right now, but I've seen him put the ball in the hole in high school. I think once he gets more experience, I think I want him to be more aggressive. I want him to get to the hole. I want him to get to the free throw line. And he made two threes against Georgia tech. He made one against uh, Notre Dame. So I think that if he becomes a better score for the team, putting up around maybe, maybe 10 to 12 points on a nightly basis. Maybe he explodes a couple games. I think he will be huge for this team who desperately, in my opinion, needs guard, uh, needs scoring from the guard position because maybe Kerwin Walton has a bad shooting night. And I think Love will be the guy to step up for this team. And I have all of the confidence, as bad as he started this season, shooting from the three-point line, I have all the confidence in him to, uh, to, to improve his play and make those shots. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think if he if he cleans up his uh, his handling, and he and he cuts down on the turnovers because a lot of times you'll see him and they're not even like good turnovers; they're just sloppy because he just gets out of himself. Um, I think if he cleans up his turnovers and and he starts making some of those threes, um, you'll have to respect him out on the perimeter. But he's also I agree with you. He's six foot four and he's a physical guy and he's fast. If he if he has to start getting respect as a shooter, one pump fake and a, and a and a hard cut to the basket. And he's either scoring or he's getting fouled where he go to the free throw line and he'll make his shot. So I think if, if he comes into his comfort zone, I definitely agree with you. He could be a, a breakout player for us. Yeah, I mean, a lot of action on Saturday for the Tar Heels. I think it was, it was a good day for Tar Heel sports because we put ourselves on the map for football, got our first win in the ACC. And uh, with this basketball season, we have a lot to look forward to. Next matchup is tomorrow against Miami. And then we play Clemson uh, that following Saturday. So two games that we could uh, potentially win, get on a little win streak before we visit Florida State the 18th 
ranked team in the nation. That'll probably be one of our hardest games of the season. But Stuart, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You were fantastic. I mean, you know Carolina sports in and out. Um, and it was just a pleasure to, to have you on and talk about all this. We kind of got a little carried away a little bit because this episode is going to, this is a long episode, probably my longest. So uh, if everyone's still listening, I appreciate everyone for sticking around uh, a lot of action going on over the weekend. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me, Josh. It was, it was a very, very long episode and uh, but it was a lot of good, good talking points and good, good stuff to discuss. So thank you for having me again. No problem. Uh, I mean, I'll see you on campus and, uh, and I mean, maybe I'll have you again on the podcast, obviously when, uh, whenever we go back off to figure out the schedule and stuff, but definitely want to continue this. And, and again, you know, your Carolina sports. So uh, anything else you'd like to mention, drop your socials or anything. <laughs> no, but I did again. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I'm excited to see where this basketball season takes us. Cause I think we could be really good. Yeah. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this uh, very special episode of 125 Unfiltered. Tomorrow I'll be talking NFL because there's a lot that went on yesterday, but had to get you guys the recaps of our basketball and football game. Again, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.